So we're going to jump now into our study in Romans. We've been looking at the power of the gospel. We're going to be in chapter 3 today, and this passage makes a turn. We've been in a long streak of uh, challenging section. And so I wanted to lay this story alongside it. I've, I've talked about this, this story before, but it's just it's unbelievable in a way and, and very impactful and very analogous to what we're going to look at. It's the story of those, that soccer team in Thailand that got trapped in the caves. You remember this? It was 2018. And this soccer team, they were like, uh, you know, probably early middle school age. And they went with their coach and they played a game and they won. And then they went. And they, in Thailand, there's just miles of these caves and they're old lava tubes from volcanic activity. And so kids would explore and they got in there and they were in uh, two kilometers in, which is 1.2 miles. They were in this cave. And then monsoon season hit rain 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 and all the rain running out of the mountains will divert through these underground tunnels and rivers and the kids got trapped where the water rose up and they couldn't get out and it wasn't like well you just walk through the puddle it's raging water through you know if you put water through a narrow gap with pressure it increases the pressure and so it was crazy trying to get these kids out of this area and they brought in rescue teams and they were trying to figure out how do we even know where they are you know I think they found their bikes and stuff so they kind of knew where they went in but how do we even get to them and they were bringing in all the experts and they were they were working on multiple fronts they were up in the mountains trying to divert the rivers away so that it stopped filling the caves and then they were working with trying to get divers to go through these tunnels underwater and even the strongest divers they had on there, the Thailand has a Navy SEALs equivalent. They probably have a different name for it, but it's their Navy SEALs. Their best divers couldn't even get there. In fact, one lost his life trying. I mean, this is, this is desperate. These kids are trapped. And I'm wondering, this might sound a little morbid, but just think about it. I'm wondering what you're thinking about. That's a picture of them in the cave. What are you thinking about when you're trapped in a cave day after day? And you start to wonder, is anybody actually coming to rescue me? And I wonder this, do you, is, is it worse to know you're going to die than to just die? I mean, would it be worse to have day after day thinking we're going to die, this is how we're going to die, this is we're trapped in here, versus it just either die in your sleep or... In a car accident or something, just you're gone. You didn't know about it. But in there, you're agonizing about it. We're stuck in here. I'm not going to see my mom again. I'm not going to see my dad again. I'm not going to play soccer again. And these are, these are kids. And just that, and they're in there over three weeks. Just that thought. Like we are stuck. And you're just thinking it. And you're starving. And oxygen levels are going down. You're not even thinking straight. Just think of that, that, that fear of being totally stuck. That's where we've actually been the last, I don't know, number of weeks from Romans chapter 1, 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, 20. We've been in this place where Paul's been building the case that that's actually where we are spiritually, morally before God. We are stuck. And there's no way to get ourselves out. We're not going to get out of that cave. We are stuck. 
This is where we left off, kind of summing up that section of Romans 3.19. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. From 118 all the way to 320, there was this case being built of humans are under the wrath of God. Whether you've known the law or not, everyone will be accountable to God. Everyone will stand before him, and no one will be able to say, I did the work of the law, I completed the law, I lived a perfect life. It says no one will be able to say it. The law shows that you're sinful. No one can walk in and say, God, I did a pretty good job. You see, but did you ever lie? Well, I did once. In fact, when Jesus comes along, he teaches this, this passage, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, how about this? H- have you ever hated someone in your heart? That's like murder. Have you ever lusted in your heart? That's like committing adultery in your heart. He says, not your thought life is sinful. Your actual actions are sinful. The first commandment is don't have any other gods before me. And a lot of times we have all kinds of different things before God, namely ourself. I want to be God. I want to lead my own life. And so we come to this place where there's no standard that you can live up to, whether it's your own conscience. You think I'm just going to do right by me. We fail ourselves whether it's specifically God's law given through Moses, when you look at the law, when you look at what's right and true, we fall short, we're imprisoned, we're in a cave, you can't get out, you can't stand before God, we are stuck. That's where it's taken us. That's where we are. And this passage today makes a turn that God's gracious act brings our greatest hope. We're going to see now after a couple chapters of building this case that we're under the wrath of God, we're going to die under the wrath of God, no good work will get you out, and it includes everybody, whether you've only heard of God from creation or whether you've specifically known his law, we're all stuck, but God's gracious act brings our greatest hope. So let's read Romans 3. Verses 21 to 26. And this thing turns. Some of you have been here going, I've been waiting to get to this part. It's been miserable for weeks now. Excuse me. Something's gotten me. I've been sneezing all day today. I must be allergic to turkey. Okay. I might not make it through this one here. Okay. Romans 3.21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's just pray right there. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make this scripture clear. 
that your gospel would speak. You'd be stirring in hearts even right now. Lord, that you would return people to you. You would call people out of that place of being trapped in the cave of sin into being in your righteousness. Would you work in this passage right now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first thing is that some hope appears. Some hope appears. Right? When you're uh, trapped in a cave and no one's coming, you know what they had to do? They had to find this small group of divers. That's their hobby. These guys cave dive. And there was only a handful of them in the whole world who cave dove in conditions like what was in that cave in Thailand. And they brought these guys in as volunteers, right? This isn't even their job. And they had to swim through. They said it was the most raging currents they've ever been through. But I wonder if you imagine if you're the kid sitting on that little bank in the cave and you see the light of the first diver. You're probably terrified a little bit. Like, wait, the water's bubbling. What's that light? You know, I think they were getting a little messed up from lack of food and oxygen. And all of a sudden, the diver pops up. And the first group went in. There's an amazing uh, documentary on this on the Disney Plus, by the way, if you want to watch it, called The Rescue. You'll be gripping the edge of your chair. So if you're open for a Sunday nap, don't watch it today. But um, he pops up, and a, they brought a doctor in to check the kids, and they had all kinds of you know snack bars, and they're feeding the kids. But just imagine that light hope. Hey, we're not going to die in here. They're going to get us out. And that's what happens right here in this passage. But now, but now, right? Yeah, the whole world's accountable to God. The whole world is shut up under sin. The whole world is going to stand before God and have nothing to say in their defense. But now, but now something else is going to happen. But now there's some hope. But now things are going to turn. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Something else has happened that gives you hope. This is the righteousness of God. This appears over and over and over. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is both God's own righteous being and actions. He does what is right and just and true and fair and perfect that's who he is. He's actually the standard of that. So standard of that. So when you're talking about the righteousness of God, you're talking about his very being is righteous. It is just. It is completely fair. It is completely f- perfect. But also the righteousness of God is God's act in making humans righteous. So he's saying not only is God righteous, but now you can be made righteous. You can be in the righteousness of God apart from the law and the prophets. Apart from the law. So he's saying you can actually enter into that status, that standing before God that you are right. You are righteous. You are pure. You are clean. The righteousness of God is now available to you. That's what he's saying. The righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. Meaning apart from having to keep the law perfectly. Though he says, I don't want you to think it's out of nowhere. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. Saying the law, the law and the prophets would be code for your whole Old Testament. He's saying there's a new way, there's this, this hope from God to be made righteous apart from the law, but the law's been talking about it. I'll just show you one quickly. Isaiah 46, 12. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. It's everybody. 
I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So this is one of the prophets saying, hey, you who don't have righteousness, I'm going to bring it close. I'm going to bring it right there. I'm going to put it in Zion. I'm going to send the Lord Jesus Christ to bring that righteousness. That's just one such place that talks about it. So, but now, uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Something different. The law and the prophets bear witness. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the shift. We're going to come back to this part a little bit later. But it shifts from, I'm going to do things to make myself righteous. I'm going to obey the law perfectly. To now I'm going to shift that the righteousness of God comes through trusting what Jesus has done. It's no longer about what I do and what I have done. It's about what Jesus has done and me trusting in that. That's a massive shift. That's what's apart from the law. Apart from your works, it's through faith in what Jesus has done. So we'll come back to that faith part. So the second thing, briefly, let's just remember the problem. So remember the problem. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's glory, his radiance, his pure light. We were actually made to be God's image bearers. We were made to reflect God, to be God's image bearers on the earth. And when sin entered, we fall short of the very thing he made us to do, to reflect him, to glorify him. We actually fall short of that because of our sin. Because there's no distinction, no matter when you were born or where you're from or what your ethnicity is or how hard you've tried or what you've been told, it doesn't matter. No distinction. Everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That's the problem. You're trapped in a cave. You cannot get out on your own. And so we see God's gracious act. This verse is unbelievable. If you just focused for the rest of your life on this verse, you would do well. There's a lot of other important things, but just right here. This verse, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Justified is his act of declaring you righteous, declaring you just. Justified is more than pardon and release. It's more than God saying, okay, you're off the hook. I won't hold those sins against you. Be on your way, right? Someone who's maybe released from prison. Good, you've paid your debt to the society. Good luck finding a job. You're out of here. It is an invitation to be in God's presence. It's not that he just justifies you and says, good luck. He justifies you and says, now you can come in. Now you're part of my family. Now we can actually have the kind of connection and relationship that I made you for. Both now and into the, his eternal kingdom. That's justification. It, it brings you close. It doesn't just release you from sin. It releases you from sin to be brought into his family. So we are justified by his grace. It means the word literally means kindness or favor. By God's kindness. Not because we deserved it, but because he was kind. Not because he owed us. It was his favor towards us. Undeserved, unmerited. He justifies you by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. These are both words that are money words. They have money involved in them. And so the question is, who's paying the bill? Right? Who's paying the bill? Some of you are going to go to lunch today, and then the check comes. Are we splitting checks? Who's paying that bill? Are you paying that bill? Well, I thought you invited. You're paying that bill. So it says, as a gift. The, that word, as a gift, means without cost or free of charge. That's what that word means. Without cost. We've been justified by his grace without cost or free of charge. Then it says through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption means somebody is set free paying a ransom. It's a word that's used when you're trying to get prisoners of war back from the other country. We will send you your prisoners. You give us ours. We will send you this money to free these slaves and bring them back. So it's paying a ransom. Here's the key here. It's not free. It's paid by someone else. So it's free to you. In his grace as a gift without cost because it was paid. Jesus paid the redemption cost. I keep bringing up this. That's right. I keep bringing up this event because it was so amazing. The pie auction. Not because of the pie, but because of the unbelievable generosity of our church to pour out the pie auction raised over $10,000 to send our kids to camp for the next couple years. Because camp is often where kids meet Jesus and understand this verse. But the key, and Steve explained this to us, camp isn't free. Even if we send kids, we don't want any kid for money to ever miss camp. So they go for free. But camp isn't free. The bus gets seven miles to the gallon. How many miles is it to Oregon, Steve? Right? It's like 400 miles to where they're, right? You do the math. Diesel, that, that green number that you see, if you ignore that unless you have a diesel bus, right? Camp's not free. Have you ever fed 20 teenagers? Ask Sven and Sabrina how much they eat, right? They cook. Camp's not free. We pay for every bed. When you go to the camp, they don't say, well, that kid didn't have money. We'll give you a free bed. No, no. Steve pays for every bed, for every kid and every leader. Because we want leaders to go and not have to use their money to minister. It's not free. It's paid for by your generosity. Camp is not free. We make it free so the kids can go. And that's the same as the gospel. It's not free. It's paid by Christ. Your debt of sin, you being enslaved, it's not free. Those guys that swam through the cave, they risked their lives all right, to get in there. It's not their job, but they did it. That's what he's saying. The, you're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, through Jesus paying the ransom to set you free. Paying the other one that holds your debt so you can get out. It's not free. It's free to you. But it's not free. Well, what's the cost? That's in the first part of verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's kind of a weird word. I bet no one used it in conversation this week. Right? No one. You'd hear anybody say that at Starbucks at the table next to you. Right? What is this word? 
Propitiation. What are we talking about here? It is. It mean, it's a means, means of atonement. Atonement, a way of covering. And it means the satisfaction of wrath. That's what it means. It's a means of atonement. It's the way that the debt or the sin is paid for. It's the satisfaction of wrath. A lot of people get squirrely with that idea of wrath. We don't, we don't use that word wrath. Well, we've just spent chapters dealing with the wrath of God that's been revealed. It's all over chapters 1, 2, and 3. Douglas Moo in his Romans commentary says, God's wrath is the inevitable and necessary reaction of absolute holiness to sin. Okay, and this is what's worth considering here. He's writing to Romans, and the Romans and the Greeks had a pantheon of Roman and Greek gods. And so when you're talking about the wrath of the gods and appeasing the gods and atoning the gods, the Greek and Roman gods were reckless. Is that supposed to have a W? I don't know. Reckless, vengeful, moody, impulsive. It's like these, you know, the scene of the gods in heaven toying with the people on earth. And I'm in a weird mood and I want eight zillion goat heads to sacrifice. And they're just a whim and it's crazy and they're torturous and they're messing with humanity and they're impulsive. So you start talking about the wrath of God. You can get that image that God's in heaven flying off the handle and freaked out about everything and ready to send lightning bolts down. That's not the picture we've seen at all. There is nothing unprincipled, unpredictable, or uncontrolled about God's anger. It is aroused by evil alone. God made this world. He made it perfect and righteous and beautiful. Sin entered the world, and sin brings the wrath of God for the punishment of sin. It's not wild. He's not on a whim. We're not constantly trying to appease this angry force so that our crops and cattle don't die. He's like, no, this is just the facts. There is sin it must be paid. That's where this word comes in. God put forward as a propitiation, a payment for wrath. What's the payment? His blood. It's a blood debt. In Leviticus 17.11, in the law, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So in the Old Testament covenant of Moses, God said, you have sinned and needs to be covered. I will allow you to sacrifice an animal because the life is in the blood. And if you take the blood out, then the animal dies and that atones for your sin. That was the Old Covenant. It says, indeed, this is jumping to Hebrews, it says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is not redemption by cash. This is redemption by the blood. Another life pays for it. And then we come, it says, the, by the blood of who? The blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 11, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Just covered it for a time. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those 
who are being sacrificed or sanctified. That Jesus' one act of offering himself on the cross is the one that sanctifies us for all time. God put forward as a satisfaction for the wrath to one sin, he put forward his own son, Jesus, perfect, and his blood paid the price, atones, covers, satisfies. That's God's gracious act. He paid the cost. He paid the eternal, ultimate price that we couldn't pay. Why was this necessary? Why couldn't he say, you know, just don't worry about it. I'm God, I can just forgive you. I can do anything, right? I'm God. He says, to keep his perfect righteousness and justice, it had to be done. And that's what this next part talks about. This was to show, God's putting Jesus on the cross, this was to show God's righteousness, that he acts righteous, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He allowed atonement with animal sacrifice, but it didn't ultimately solve the problem, right? That had to be done over and over and over. So he passed over. He let it go. He let it build up. We saw this earlier in Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The moment you sin and transgress his law, the earth didn't open and swallow you. Fire didn't come down from heaven and destroy you in that second. A lightning bolt didn't strike you in the temple. Right? You keep living. You keep going. It says this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over the former sins. He didn't strike you dead. He didn't kill you immediately. He put him on Jesus. Right? He saved him for that one moment. Says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made Jesus be that sin for all the past, all the present, all the future, all on Jesus in that moment. This was to show God's righteousness. Right? He passed over those sins, but he didn't say, never mind. He would not be a righteous judge. If a righteous judge neglects justice, he's not righteous, right? It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's just, he's completely fair, and he punished all the past sins on Jesus. He didn't just say, never mind. He didn't neglect justice. He didn't ignore. He said, no, I'm going to put it on him. So he's perfectly just. He did what was needed to be done. But then he's also the justifier. He can declare you righteous when you have faith in Jesus. This is the cross. I've heard Tim Keller say this on a number of occasions. He says, the cross in one moment makes you realize that sin was way worse than you thought. It was so bad, it took the perfect son of God to die on a cross to pay for it. I mean, it's way worse than we thought. It's way more destructive. The wrath of God is way more serious than we even get. And the cross tells you that in one moment. Like, look at that. The earth was reviling at it. There was earthquake and eclipse, and it was a violent act. It was a horrible act. But at the same moment... 
the cross shows you that God loves us enough that he was willing to do it. Right? He was willing to pay the price. He was willing to be the propitiation. He was willing to do it. So at the very same moment, it shows God's justice and his love, his graciousness and his holiness, all in one picture, Christ on the cross. That's the center of the whole thing. That's God's gracious act. I will be just. I will punish sin. I will pay for it myself. That's his gracious act. And that brings our greatest hope. You don't have to die in a cave alone. You don't have to stand before God fumbling and bumbling. And let me tell you, no one's walking in there and saying, I did good enough. You won't walk. You won't walk. You will be in terror and dread, right? Unless... You have the blood of Jesus that covers you. And then I think you run. Get me in there. Give me a hug. Let me hug him. Let me worship him. It's received by faith. All right, that's what he says in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. It's not the works of the law. It's trusting. What Jesus did is what I need. Jesus act on the cross Forgives me, I trust it. He said it in two ways, right? Through faith for all who believe. In case you didn't get it, it says faith four times in these verses. Faith, believe, faith, faith. You have to trust. You have to believe. You have to transfer your sense of I can make myself righteous to Jesus. So we go to that great verse. We are justified by his, by his grace as a gift the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a moment of realization when you go, if I don't have Jesus, then I'm going to die. I'm hoping some people in here are having that moment of realization. The scriptures make it clearer than clear. All of you, all of us, all of me, We have nothing we can do on our own. We can't do the works of the law. We can't live perfectly. We can't keep our own set of standards, let alone God's. And our mouth will be shut. And the world is accountable. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. I just read that in Isaiah 45. Everyone will swear allegiance to God, either by joyful worship or by fearful force. So there's a realization that it's serious. But he loves you that much. He loves you. Some some of you might be having a moment of realization. I personally need to trust Jesus for my salvation. And the other one is that we, we continue to live by faith full of gratitude. If you already know this and you're already a follower of Jesus, sometimes we flip back into this mode where we're always trying to prove ourselves. I've got to show that I'm really doing. I've got to convince myself that I'm really following God. I've got to keep, and no, you keep trusting. You keep believing the truth about what he did for you at the cross, full of gratitude, full of gratitude. God's gracious act brings our greatest hope. So let me just pray and make an opportunity for any here who want to right now, today, put their faith in Christ. You have that opportunity. Or say, I've wandered from you and I want to come back. 
or just have a spirit of thanksgiving in your heart. And, uh, and then we're going to sing that song that we, that song was exactly what we just talked about. So Lord Jesus, we come to you and thank you and thank you and thank you for what you've done. Lord, we realize it was only at the cross that we have any hope. We cannot give out, get out of the cave the depth of our sin until you paid the price. If there's any here who want to put their trust in Jesus, I want you to do it right now. You can call out to him with your own words in your mind and heart right now, or you can do it saying something like this. God, I confess that I am unrighteous and deserving of your wrath. And I trust that you have paid the price for me. Will you forgive me? Will you bring me into your family? Is anybody praying that right now? I just want to make, just you look at me, wave at me. If anybody's praying that, I want to just connect to you so we can follow up. Give me a wave if anyone's praying that today. Lord, we pray for any who just need to come back. They've wandered. They know this and they've got focused on other things. They just want to come back today. They just want to come back to you and recommit themselves to you. Is anybody in that boat? You just want to come back to the Lord today? Just wave at me if you do. I see it. Yep. Lord, we just pray that, that our heart would be true to you. We would trust you by faith. We would not wander from you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, help us in this. And we want to offer this song as a praise to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.